darkness settled down while Molly dried the pans and cups. Catley came up with a huge armload of wood, which he dropped with a crash a little too near Pruitt to suit his irascible mood. Say, you Missouri hayseed, can't you see my feet? he demanded. I could if I looked. They're big enough, retorted Catley. I ain't wondering you have such a care of em. Ain't you? Sure I'd like to know why, queried Pruitt. I reckon what little brains you've got are in them. You damn yank, ejaculated the little rebel, as amazed as enraged. I've shot men for less than that. Reckon you have, rejoined Catley with slow, cool sarcasm. But in the back, and I'm looking at you. There was not the slightest doubt of Catley's emergence from the character of a stolid, dull teamster into something incalculably otherwise. Jet rolled out his loud, harsh laughter. It amused him, this revolt of the stupid farmer. Likewise, it showed his subtle change. Was there reason for him to invite antagonism among his men? Assuredly, there was strong antagonism toward him. Follinsby gazed in genuine amaze at Cadley and slowly nodded his lean, buzzard-like head, as if he had, before in his life, seen queer things in men. As for the fiery little rebel, he was instantly transformed in his attitude toward Catley. From a man who had felt a raw irritation to one who hated and who doubted. However, Follinsby read the erstwhile Missouri farmer, Pruitt got only so far as a cold and waking doubt. Enmity was thus established, and it seemed to be Pruitt's natural mental attitude, and to suit Catley better than friendliness. Molly heard and saw this byplay from the shadow beyond the campfire circle. If that were Catley's answer to her appeal, it was a change, sudden and bewildering. The thrill she sustained was more like a shudder. In that moment, she sensed a far-reaching influence, a something which had to do with future events. Catley stalked off into the gloom of the cottonwoods where he had made his bed. Rand, are you sure that fella is what you said he was? A Missouri farm hand, tired of working for nothing? demanded Follinsby. Hank, I ain't sure of anything, and I don't give a whoop, replied the leader. That's natural for you, said the other with sarcasm. You don't know the West as I know it. Catley struck me queer when he called Pruitt so cool-like. I've come to mind men of the coal younger stripe. If so, oh, if nothing, cut in Pruitt, just spoke my sentiments about our Yankee pard. It roused me to think of him getting a share of our hired money. Jet coughed, an unusual thing for him to do. Who said Catley got a share? he queried gruffly. Follinsby lifted his lean head to peer at the leader. Pruitt, who was sitting back to a stump, his distorted face gleaming red in the campfire light, moved slowly forward to gaze in turn. Both men were silent, both of them questioned with their whole bodies, but Jet had no answers. He calmly lit his pipe and flipped the match into the fire. Sure, now I tax myself. I can't remember that anybody said Catley got a share, replied Pruitt with deliberation. But I thought he did. 
and I know Hank thought so. I'd have gambled on it, said Follinsby. Catley gets wages, that's all, asserted the leader. Uh-huh, and who gets his share of the hide money, demanded Pruitt. I do, rejoined Jet shortly. Jet, I'm telling you that's in a line with our holding out money for supplies at Sprague, said Follinsby earnestly. You was to furnish, outfit, grub, everything, and share even with all of us, including your woman. You got your share and her share and now Catley's share. I'm willing to argue it with you, but not on an equal divvy basis.